Hey, everybody. This is Anya. Welcome back to the Venus and Mars podcast. Today, we are talking about fatherhood. So when it comes to Venus and Mars and the ability of men and women to really understand each other, one of the big patterns that just seems to continue and continue and resurface in our culture is this idea of the missing dad, both on a personal level, on a psychological level, on a big macro social level, this idea that maybe he was gone, maybe he wasn't there, or maybe he was there, but he wasn't there for you emotionally. He wasn't there for you spiritually. And this kind of void of dad has huge, huge implications in our world. And it's something that's not talked about. And I'm extremely passionate about this. So when I see and I get to meet a man who has either not experienced this or has overcome this, and he finds himself to be an extremely present dad for his daughters, both emotionally, psychologically, physically, all of the above. I get really excited so we can have this conversation about how that happened and where he sees himself in this moment, in this world as a dad. And so I'm very excited to welcome TV Aguirre to be here and discuss this topic with me. Welcome, TV. Thank you for having me. That was a fantastic introduction and completely on board with what you're what you're speaking on and the importance of dad. Powerful. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk. Thank you for kind of saying that. And you are a marketer, you are a dad, you are an artist, you're a writer, you do many things, you own two businesses. Share a little bit about what you're up to and who you are these days. I have a career, I have a business that I started in 2009 uh, that's <clears throat> rolling along. I started it to be to be more involved in my daughter's lives. That has uh, grown over the years and is very consistent. So I can depend on it. Um, and, and it's something I really enjoy. It's messaging, it's marketing. Everything is marketing to some on some level or another is how you how you actually put words to thoughts and ideas uh, and how to be persuasive around those ideas. The business is going well, and I've started to actually um, a couple years back, I decided to put a big focus on trying to build a Kizomba community, a dance Kizomba community here in Dallas. I've been dancing since 2014, 2013. And it occurred to me that I know marketing. So, um, and I've been a manager. I've been, uh, I've been, I've grown communities. Like, let's see if I can do it here. So that's actually one of the, my biggest little side passion projects that takes up a lot of time. It's become kind of a primary project. So growing the scene here in Dallas, DFW, it's something that I'm really passionate about. It's growing. It's it's thriving. We're known as one of the the top cities in the country. Uh, I want to be known as the top city in the country at some point. But before I walk away, which is in the foreseeable future. Um, but that uh, and writing, um, doing videos, doing podcasts like this, guest appearances, I have my own podcast, uh, writing, sketching, art. I, I've, I've been, I'm an artist uh, mm. at a high level and something I've done since I was a child. And now that I'm older and I don't depend on the art to pay my bills, I actually uh, have time to create, you know, without any regard, any, any concerns about it. It's my art. So that's what I, those are the things that take up my time, especially now that my daughters are 20 and 18. Uh, they, they're pretty much, um, now I would say done with dad, because I still feel like I'm an important role. I played an important role, but they're doing their thing. So they don't need me uh, in the day to day and uh, as involved in the activities as, as I used to. They used to need me and I wanted mm. them to be. <laughs> mm, that's beautiful. Well, let's take a second and kind of go back to the beginning. What was your relationship like with your own dad? 
<laughs> it was bad. It was, uh, you mentioned it earlier. He was present. Physically, he was there when he wasn't fighting with my mom, uh, when he wasn't kicked out. He was physically there. He was complaining the whole time. Uh, and emotionally just wasn't, a, but emotionally was not available. Um, so growing up, uh, I idolized him for the longest until uh, something turned on. And I started realizing that he is really fallible. He actually, most of the things that he was saying and, and stating to me were um, not right, incorrect, and really, really off base. Um, so over the years, things just escalated to the point where at some point I remember saying that I absolutely hated my father. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it hurts to say that now, mm -hmm. but it, it, that's what I felt as a, as a young adolescent. That's huge that you were able to come to that conclusion so early on because a lot of men don't ever get there. Mm. They leave the world with this idealization of a very mm. fallible character, you know, and then they don't, don't they're not able to truly live the lives of their hearts. Mm. I'm really in awe of how you were able to come to that conclusion as an adolescent. He kind of made it easy in that he, I, I always would tell this story that we could be arguing about the color of the sky and it's like, dad, it's blue. And he's like, no, it's black. <laughs> and I'm like, but dad, that color is blue. No, it's black. I'm the adult. I'm your right. father. Listen to me. Shut the fuck up. You know? Um, so as, yeah, as it, as it got, I got, got older and older. I'm like, this man is really confused. Um, mm -hmm. And he has a false sense of reality. And I, I needed to start disassociating myself from him and, and realize that he's, now that I'm older, I recognize he's just a human being that's, that was lacking a lot of education. He comes from a, a background and an era where he, he, he was illiterate. Yeah. Um, he couldn't, he didn't have access to that information. It's a very macho uh, era of, of our culture, of yeah. society in general, but Mexico, I was born in Mexico. Yeah. So, um, recognizing that now allows me to forgive and move on. But back then I just, I couldn't have it. <laughs> Oof, that's incredible. So did you think about the kind of father you wanted to be before you had your daughters or did that happen once they were born? At the same time that I was uh, going through my breakup of source emotionally with my dad, mm. I, I swore to myself that I would do better, that I had mm. to do better. I, I say this a lot, even in my writing, uh, there has to be a better way. Mm -hmm. um, what we were introduced to, whether it be food, religion, culture, it's not to say that it's not important, but there has to be a better way and a better way of raising children. I'm like, I, I will do better. There has to be a better way. So I made that commitment early on in my life. So when I had my daughters, um, it was, it was inevitable. I obviously had to take the steps consciously because we inevitably end up repeating the patterns of our parents, of our fathers, if we're not careful. Oh, I can just relate to you so much, TV. I mean, I'm just listening to your words and I've had the same experience. So to give a contrasting example, I actually, I'm currently in a process where I'm keeping distance from my own father because I'm in this like incubation period where I'm really finally just kind of letting a lot go. And I envision a relationship in the future that no longer requires like I'm no longer needing his approval or his, mm -hmm. all these things. I see a very neutral, kind relationship in the future, but currently that's not where I'm at. And I heard something from uh, my mother who basically shared that he was on a Skype call with one of his friends and mind you, he's 66 years old. Okay. So his, his friend was like, you should just really ask for forgiveness mm -hmm. from your dad 
because I know that like you didn't live up to the, his expectation. So like mm. his dad is long dead. He is 66 years old. And the realization you came to as a teenager, he mm -hmm. still hasn't come to and he won't come to. So just like the contrasting experience around like being towards the end of life or whatever, mid end of life and being so stuck, like in a cage, you know? Yes. Really just heartbreaking for me. It's it's something that's really common. Um, I yeah. did release that at a young age. And then even then, I'll say that into my 20s or so, I still wanted his approval. Um, mm -hmm. I never got it. Um, mm -hmm. I read a book, and I forgot the name of the book, but essentially it said to kill your father or kill the image of your father. Mm -hmm. Because you're never, even if you do live up to his expectations, something's still not going to be right. So kill that version, that is this idea of your father and his approval. And I, I, I took the moment to actually do that after reading the book. And I remember almost immediately feeling like this anxiety and pressure relieved from me. And a lot of what I've done in life, luckily, I've done because I was able to do that. Because if I was trying to live up to his expectations, then I was always going to be pursuing that instead of taking risks in life. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the things that I did made no sense to him. To this day, it makes mm. no sense to him. So had I tried to live up to his standards and his expectations, I wouldn't be where I am today. And people will ask me, how are you able to take these risks? How did you quit your job? How did you start these things? How do you get on camera? Like, I don't care. I don't yeah. care what my father thinks, much less what anyone thinks. And he was my biggest critic. Oof. It sounds like he was so stuck in self-critique and needing external validation that now you are not in that. You are completely self-validated. You showed that to your girls. Yes. That self-esteem is what you showed them. So I'm curious what you, an example of something you're super proud of that he like couldn't comprehend. So much. Yeah. <laughs> just quitting, just quitting my job. Yeah. Even before quitting my job, I'll take it back a little bit. I actually took a job on as a training a trainer, uh, mm -hmm. I was a training specialist teaching leadership and management. Mm -hmm. And um, I was living at home with him because it was fresh after the divorce. Uh, and I was starting to take some more risks because I, I, I wanted, I used to be in the grocery business. So I worked in the grocery stores as a manager, retail mm -hmm. management, did that for a long time. And I was pretty good at it, but I wanted to move away from that because I didn't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I was able to kind of uh, manipulate my way into the training department persuade some people to give me an opportunity, although I was clearly underqualified, had no degrees, barely knew how to use a computer. Mm. Um, but I was doing these classes because it became apparent that I was pretty good at teaching, speaking, uh, grabbing mm. attention. I was telling my dad, um, hey, hey, I actually was trying to own up to my own stuff. And I said, hey, dad. So it was one of those big moments like, dad, I, I'm sorry if I never lived up to your expectations. Mm. I really am. I love you and I, I love you for who you are and I accept anything and everything about you. It is what it is. But please, yeah. please forgive me if I've never lived up to your expectations. Um, and he said to me, because I was living in the garage, the turned room, and he said to me, like, you know what I don't understand, son? I just don't understand why you're sleeping on the floor. And in that moment, I'm like, you're not listening. You're not listening. <laughs> you don't understand. I said, yeah. I really don't care about sleeping on the floor. I will do better and I will I will get to a place where I can, I'll have plenty. I'll have beds or whatever. That's not an issue. I'm not going to, I'm not stuck on that. He said, I told him like, dad, I'm leading people. People are listening to my words and feeling yeah. something and making changes. And he's like, yeah. I just don't get it. I just don't understand. 
you should just have a job like everyone else. Uh, so it's so far out of his realm of understanding that in that moment, it was finally confirmed, like, just move on. Um, seeking my father's validation um, is foolish. And at one point, he, now he has, by the way, but this is like 30 years, no, 20 years yeah. later. Yeah, makes sense. Oof. On my terms. Yeah. It's really powerful stuff. It occurs to me that in those moments, like the, why are you sleeping on the floor statements, which I've heard a million times, like in my own story, <laughs> that statement is like, what does it look like to the outside world oh, yes. that Absolutely. you're sleeping on the floor? It's not about you and what you believe and what you desire and your heart and your soul and your passion. It is literally just about what the outside world could possibly interpret from this. 100%. I agree. Oh, and and I didn't care. I've never put too much yeah. weight on that on them. Uh, I do what I do, and I move around the world in a way that uh, best serves me. And at that yeah. point in time, I needed to sleep on the floor. I let go of everything. Yeah. I had very little debt and and uh, responsible financial responsibilities. So yeah. if I had to sleep on the floor, that's what I'll do. I love that. Congratulations for <laughs> taking the risk, being in that position, and then finding your way on your own terms. It's really powerful stuff. And I think for me it's really one of the most commendable, beautiful things about this process of healing and manhood in general, like taking ownership for oneself, like the masculine way, just like I'm going to do this with honor, integrity on my terms. Yeah, it's hard. Um, if I, you said it earlier, you said it a couple of times. If I had been concerned about the perception of yeah. how the world would see me, how yeah. my community, how my family then I wouldn't have taken these risks, but I felt that the risk was worth it, that the potential of what I could accomplish was there. I didn't know how, what it would look like, um, but I had to take ownership and, and take a big bow leap and believe mm. in myself. Mm, I love that. So TV, tell me about your girls. Tell me about them. Well, they're now 20 and well, in the next few months in December, November, they'll turn 20 and 18. Cool. They're the same, but different. Uh, they're kind of the, like, this, if I was the coin, they're, they're both sides of me, uh, <laughs> if that makes any sense, because yeah. they both favor me and resemble me in many ways, but at the same time, they're the opposite of me. Yeah. They're the other opposite of each other. So one is an artist, um, photographer, and she, she actually does that as a side project, side gig. Uh, she does that for her job. She's, she's actually a marketing, <laughs> she works in a marketing agency. Cool. Um, she got hired on by a friend, took on an internship, and now, uh, and she didn't go to college, by the way. So she's followed my path. And I supported her in that because I know that it's possible and that she's got the work ethic and the skills and willingness to, and, to learn anything and everything. Mm. Um, so she didn't go to college. She's working full-time for a marketing agency. She's already skyrocketed within the, the company in terms of trust and respect. Oh. Her boss, who's a friend of mine, actually texted me a couple of nights ago and said, you have an absolutely fantastic kid or young lady. She is a great, great employee. And she's helped us get through some tough times in the company. Wow. Thank you. And yeah, like almost crying. Oh. <laughs> um, because, you know, you hope for your kids are going to do well and they're going to be able to fend for themselves and grow. And she has, she has the skills and she's willing to learn and do anything, get her hands dirty if she has to. So what do you think it took from you to instill that in her? Like what was the most important thing? I have this thing I call, and I actually recorded a video years ago, and I wrote something around this. It's like um, just this belief in herself. I call it a portfolio of success. Mm -hmm. um, she actually said it. She's like, I think I could do anything. 
I think I could learn anything. I, 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 I just believe that. I like, that's true because I've worked on that for you, with you, both of you, since you were children. Yeah. Anything and everything that came across that we were decided to get into, yeah, you would start it, you would struggle, you'd get better. And yeah. I would tell them all the time, it's like when you're struggling and they're doing some new things, we did a lot of activities. Yeah, They would struggle, they would almost want to quit. And I'd remind them, remember last time you did that? Yes, yeah. I did, right. Let me try again. For both of them. So little by little, they started adding to the portfolio of success. Mm. Um, and you stack that enough over time. Now, as you get older, this is as children, right? Most of us are trying to overcome that as adults. But this, I, I, I try to intentionally do that as children, even small things, catching a football, throwing a Frisbee or examples I use all the time, uh, shooting a basketball, climbing a tree, yeah. drawing, painting. Uh, they do spoken word. Uh, well, she doesn't do so much anymore. The younger one does, gotten on stage, performed on a mic. So all these things, you start stacking to the point where when, and I said this then, like when a tough time comes and you think you can't do it, I'm going to hook it back. I'm going to hook the, all those memories back and pull out your portfolio of success. And you yeah. remember, I actually was able to do so much as a young child. Of course I can do this. Oh, it's so beautiful. You know, what's interesting. Thank you for that. Psychologically speaking, it's really fascinating. So the masculine energy inspires external confidence in kids, whereas the feminine energy inspires internal confidence. So mm. like feminine energy builds like your soul matters, your feelings matter, like mm. who you are inside matters. But when you don't have a solid supportive masculine presence around you, that's like emotionally attuned to you, you don't develop external confidence. And what is external confidence? Mm. It's essentially a portfolio of success. It's essentially what you're saying. It's like, I can do that. I can do that. My skills, who I be, who I am, how I move is worthy. It's good enough mm -hmm. to make shit happen. And so Absolutely. all of us that had that void, we're mm -hmm. all self-conscious. And so we're less productive. We're less confident. We're less all these things. And that's what dad teaches. So I'm really loving hearing that story about the portfolio of confidence. It relates super well to psychology. I study psychology. I study all types of stuff. It's part of the marketing, right? Understanding yeah. the way the mind works. Um, and I've learned that from myself. I, I, whenever I hit roadblocks, it's like, wait, I just did all these things. Yeah. I just made it through. I ran through a brick wall. Like, dude, you can <laughs> run through this uh, wall of bubbles. Like, it's going to be okay. Stop making it such a big deal. Mm, um, that's so cool so the other one yeah. is still in high school she's more of the academic uh she will be going to college probably on the east coast um she's fantastic she she has stuck with the spoken word uh poetry she loves performing she hasn't done it recently yeah she's an academic she's going to go to college she has this big brain uh i'm extremely proud of both of them I'm proud of her she's she's involved in so many things she's mm. the um band leader what is that the um i always forget Conductor, uh, drum yeah. major the, the lead drum major the, the major drum something so she's the person yes the conductor uh she's the leader she's she's a fantastic human being uh and that's the thing I, I i like to hang my hat on for both of them is that they're good human beings i didn't care what career they pursued um i was going to support them in anything but they're just good human beings and I'm, that's what i'm most proud of um, and she she's going to do some amazing things as well. She's eager to get started, but nervous, obviously. But um, I'm there to support her throughout the process. I know that you are divorced. Yes. So did mm -hmm. you raise your daughters solo or was there support? 
they they lived with their mom. I did not okay. win custodialship. So the primary most of the time they spent with their mom, 70, 80% of the time. Gotcha. Um, I would get them every other weekend. So everything you hear was pretty much done on those weekends. It was like jam crammed into uh Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, trying to um instill as much confidence, uh, give them as many experiences, as many memories as possible, and as many mm-hmm. stories to be able to pull from. I love that. So since this is Venus and Mars, and it's all about this idea of complementary emotions, characteristics, what do you love about your daughters that you know they got from their mom? They got some of their desire or refusal to back down. Mm. Mom's a firecracker, to put it lightly. <laughs> and I learned something in, years ago. It's like every behavior has a positive intention. Too much of anything is bad. Too much confidence is, could be lead you into bad directions. Too much um too much stubbornness too much like oh i'm not gonna but what they have from her is an absolute like willingness to go fight Mm. for themselves and Mm. not let anybody run over them they have they're really soft-spoken for the most part very um very uh, very vocal in many ways and they will stand up for people as well so knowing that because Mm. they believe in themselves they won't let anyone run them over or their friends they go to bat for people uh, who are being bullied. They, I mean, they do all types of things to make sure that no one gets run over or themselves. Mm, that's so cool. How did you guys, cause I know we, we definitely live in this like culture of kids are just more connected to their peers because maybe there's mm-hmm. some attachment issues or there's some voids emotionally with their parents. They, they don't feel supported, loved, appreciated for who they are. So they gravitate towards their peers as teens, especially. How did you maintain this like really symbiotic relationship with your girls during that time? I feel that I made sure that they trusted me. Mm. I, I've read the book that you suggested and, and, and I understand that very thing. And, and that the, throughout that, what you just said, why do they turn to their peers? They are going to turn to the Pierce. We're talking about the book, uh, Hold On to Your Kids by Gabor Mate. I'm going to yes, put that at the bottom of the episode. Yes, thank you. Because it is a fantastic argument to hold on to your kids and to retain that, the the place of being who they, their North Star is, right? To, to show their values. We, we, we demonstrate our values to them and instill that in them. Uh, give them the core values. They turn to their peers, I think, because they stop trusting the parents because it, it's easier to talk to their peers who know them, trust them, trust them on some level, trust them more than parents. It can speak open, at least more openly than they can with parents. Mm-hmm. So to your answer your question, from a very early age, I've always made it a point to make sure that they knew that they could trust me. Anything mm-hmm. and everything that I knew was going to, that was going to occur in their lives, uh, problems they were going to run into. I even told them early on, like one day you may hate me. Not because you want or you'd be very angry at me. Mm. Maybe I have to stand up for you and you're going to think that I'm I'm not keeping you in mind. Everything mm. I will do will be in your best interest. I promise you. And girls are little. They're like, oh, daddy, that would never happen. <laughs> um, yeah. And to some extent, it has it. Uh, I will say that we didn't go through the teenage drama stuff. Mm. Um, and I think it has to do with that because they knew that even when they messed up, they could come to me. Um, I wasn't going to belittle them. I wasn't going to insult them. I wasn't going to insult anything about them. We were going to talk about the problem. Mm. And I feel that that is what I've been able to nurture. They really, really trust that I'm, I'm, I have their back and that I'm going to 
really look at anything that comes across and we're going to handle it without making them feel less than. Oh my God, you hit on it. Cause I was like, as you said, trust, I was like, well, there's something beneath trust. You can't trust somebody unless they accept you as you are and don't try to change you. And so what you're speaking to is so profound. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. I think it's yeah. society, as, as, a, as a people, as a, as a community of human beings, we have to trust things are going to be true. Um, we have to, tr- I've said this, this is the best metaphor I have. We have to trust that when I, the light is green and the, the opposite light is red, that they're going to stop. Mm. We have to trust that people are going to stay in their lanes and not swerve. And of course, sometimes there's still, there's accidents, but for us to survive as, as, as a human being in a society, we have to trust these things. And with our parents, we need to trust they're going to accept us for who we are, who we're becoming yeah. without feeling like we're not meeting their standards. Like we're not yeah. good enough. Yeah. Um, so Oof, it's just so spot on. And like, we're only ever in a scenario in which we feel like we're not meeting their standards. If they feel like they didn't meet their own parents' standards Ooh, and they're just yeah. trying to control. Like, I'm going to do this better. I'm going to control the crap out of you. Cause I, mom and dad, no, I feel like sometimes they're over overcompensating so much that now their kids are like being put beneath their thumb and it, it it's so yeah. much weight and they're not allowed to actually become themselves, find themselves as children, as teenagers. Well, yeah, it makes sense. If you couldn't find yourself, how are you going to facilitate another little human to find themselves? You're going to perpetuate the same old pattern. <laughs> Yeah. So it goes, it, it goes back to one of my other chief arguments, which is ultimately we all need therapy. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. And we need, or someone to talk to, or some uh, start looking internally and being self-analytical and say, oh, I do that thing. What can I do to make it better? Because we're only going to operate, like we're the ceiling for our, for our kids in many ways until they find a new ceiling or yep. they, they move on. Yep. If we are limiting them because of our own shit, and then criticizing them because they're they're not meeting our standard. I mean, it's just this terrible scenario where we're the ones that are holding them down. We're the ones that are keeping them from exceeding and meeting those expectations because we're actually suppressing them. Um, and it's our crap, our trauma yeah. that's generational and we're passing it along. Oof. I almost don't even, I want to stop saying meeting our standard because it sounds like this big thing. I feel like it should be staying in our bubble. Yes, I can definitely roll with that. Yes. Oh, I want to roll with that because it's mm-hmm. it, it it just speaks more to the limiting nature of that experience, just how yes. limited it is. Yeah. I mean, on a personal level, until I started to heal, forgive, change patterns, I would only find myself attracting or being around men that were like very fragile, very cold, very unavailable emotionally, just couldn't show up in a reciprocated communicative way. Mm. And I was like spending my life being like, why, why, why? But it's because I couldn't show up that way either. Cause Boom. I've spent my whole life. <laughs> like there, You just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I spent my whole life, like living under this bubble of that's how life is. That's how men are. And so then I started to change And now I cannot tell you friends, peers, Mm -hmm. like colleagues. I'm like, it's a whole different world. I find myself 
around these like extremely communicative, open, supportive, grounded men. I find myself, you know, talking to someone like you and it's a whole new world because I popped the bubble. Wow. You just, you have, you just cued. It's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah. My, I have this like tagline and this, this realization, which kind of, you, you said it right now. If you want to become a better parent, if you want to become a better partner, if you want to become a better friend, first, you need to become a better human, a more whole, more well-rounded, uh, understanding, uh, a healing human being, like one that's working through that. Because once, as a human being, that's the biggest domino. Everything else is downstream from it. Because you're going to show up as yourself at that point. So you start improving. You start realizing your, your, your stuff. Um, being a parent is simple at that point because you're going to do good stuff, which then is going to, you know, <laughs> your kids are going to watch. So you're going to be consistent. You're going to be honest. Kids are watching all of that. Your peers, your, your partners, you're going to attract human beings that are much closer to a version of yourself or this energy because you're just a good human being. <laughs> I love it. And then your kids are going to like want to be around you and they're just going to like feel safe and happy in your presence. And they're going to be, fully regulated emotionally yes um that is true that i actually get tickled by that um aside from the fact that they're really busy human beings uh and they're in all types of activities their attention is, is stretched my daughter's got a game tonight and she's going to tyler texas and she's what? not going to be back tonight and tomorrow she has a performance uh some competition that's all day aside from that they, we love spending time with each other. Mm. They love spending time with me. And what's crazy is that their peers love me. Their mm -hmm. peers look up to me. Their peers like are, are dying to meet me and shake my hand and like, oh my God, you're, his, you're, you're uh, Anna's father. Like, oh my, I see your mm. stuff. Like they Google me <laughs> and I've become oh, kind of mythological. Yeah. And it's an interesting place to be, but I, I, they want to stay connected to me as opposed to not like, and unfortunately most of us and most kids don't want to be around their parents because they make them feel bad because they don't accept their peers. They don't, they don't understand. They don't stay at least in touch with current culture and what's yeah. popular, whether you like it or not, who cares? It's their generation. Yeah. Mm, that's so cool. I, I love everything you're saying. I think it's so profound and it just all boils down to, Really, the, pur the purpose of this conversation is to illuminate the importance of dadhood, the importance of that side. Thank of, you. <laughs> a, yeah, of a kid's um, upbringing. And just some of the examples that I've shared are, are, you know, 101, exhibit A, what happens to a kid when that emotional presence of dad is not there? Mm -hmm. It's a big hole. Yeah, it's a big void. It's a big hole. And it runs pretty much every aspect of life until it gets fixed, until it gets sorted out. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you've heard this before. And it's one of the reasons that I decided to divorce is that um, mm. children essentially, by the time they're six or seven, their, their belief systems are established. Yep. Um, whatever those are, whether it be through intentionally, through the family, through culture, through our community, through, through our church. Yep. I heard that. I don't know, 2007, eight, no, actually like five. And it, it like, cause I was intending on staying married until the girls graduated. I, I knew I was miserable. We were unhappy in the marriage. Yeah. Uh, but how is this serving them? How is me and being miserable? Cause I was already miserable. Then imagine 10 years later, um, 
it occurred to me that I needed to, to break away for them because I needed to establish and, and set in place things that actually uh, views of the world as they should be. My beliefs could be installed because we're programming. That's parenting is it's programming. <laughs> we're yep. Installing totally. our beliefs, but in a way that actually serves them um, because, and you said it right now until we end up living our lives through the lenses of those little six and seven year olds. And yep. then we're trying to figure out what's wrong with it. Like we're, the little child is playing this game. He's lived, they're living life in this big human body. Yep. So it takes all those years later to realize like, oh, I need help. <laughs> the yep. child needs help. Yeah. It's like every crazy toxic outburst from mm. my dad or dads I've heard, I, I can actually see him as a six-year-old. Yes. Yes. That's a six-year-old. No. That got stuck <laughs> like, no, you're controlling me, <laughs> you know? Throw a tantrum. They're gonna, this is essentially a grown-up tantrum. I've seen them every day. <sighs> yeah. And that is not loving. That is not normal. That is not how it's meant to be. That is not how people are meant to live day to day in this constant fear and tension and confusion. Imagine the child that has to witness that. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, like, so many what of is us. happening? Yeah. So like, oh, crap. Dad's losing his shit. <laughs> what does this mean? What does it say about me that I, you know, you scramble for, for meaning because that's what we're trying to do with our little yeah. minds. Yeah. And who knows what happens? Like, we're all going to tell a different story of that scenario over yeah. and over again. Right? Yeah. And, you know, there's a difference in daughters and sons and just those experiences that happen as children. And, you know, in my work and in, in my hopes to bring men and women together and create this more, more harmony in general, one of the most important aspects of it is understanding what's happening with sons mm. and, and helping them facilitating a space, finding a way to support them in overcoming all of those things. What I see happening that's different in girls and boys is girls just get really sad and low in self-esteem and people become people pleasers and just become these like people that are not confident. Whereas boys, they either go really passive or they go really angry and they idealize dad. And it's like, I'm curious your perspective on maybe that phenomena. I know it's all over the place. And also like, what do you think boys, young men should be thinking through? Or what do you think could help them? What could help boys yeah. if they have a father present? Is that what you mean? Well, um, even if they, it sounds like a lot of them are in denial that dad wasn't a great guy. And so the idea is like, how to like wake up? I think we're looking at boys that are now men. Is that what yeah, you're the yeah. question? I think it's looking around and real, if you realize or you're seeing that your day-to-day -day situation is is less than it doesn't make it's not fulfilling. Mm. Your, your partners, your friendships, your job, if all of those significant parts of our lives are less than fulfilling, it's taking a moment to to ask yourself, how did I get here? What decisions were made and what decisions which which are mine, which are truly mine, and which are those that I'm trying to live up to my father, uh, his his approval. Mm. Um, many many kids end up doing, many sons end up doing things that their father wanted them to do, or just think that they wanted them to do. So it's just looking at your life and finding out 
what got you there? Why did you make those decisions? Because we're ultimately, wherever we're at in life is a culmination of all the decisions that we've made, some big, some small. Um, but it's just taking a moment to step back and, and asking yourself that question. Is this my purely my choice and my decision? Chances are that they're not because we all do pick up our values and and our desires from people around us and parents being fathers, especially being the, the a big, plays a big role in that. Maybe realizing that you you didn't do this on your own and that you actually need to remove that priority of father's acceptance as a, mm. a metric that you're measuring against. So powerful stuff. Oh my gosh. Because, you know, I hear a lot of guys say things like, I've got the house, I've got the three car garage, I've got the wife, I've got mm. the kids, I've got all the stuff, I've got the money. I just feel like something's missing. And people, <laughs> human beings. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Relationships. Relationships. That's what they're missing. Yes. They're missing relationships. And it sounds like they can't actually have fulfilling relationships because they're not fully themselves. They're half men. Yeah. They're, they're, they're acquiring objects and maybe they're, they're, they have jobs. Obviously if they're getting all these things or well, who knows how much debt they might be going into is they're just acquiring things and failing to nurture relationships. Yeah. It's really common um, amongst men to not have enough male relationships even it's not even just you know partners but actual friend friendships it's yeah. really really difficult to nurture them because we all have this big bravado that we're yeah. um, carrying around and, and refusing to actually reach out and say hey man what's up let's hang out the acquisition of stuff does not equate to a fulfilling life it's just you have this dead stuff all over the place a car a three-car garage like i don't even care for any of that stuff like I, the thing that makes me absolutely happiest, absolutely happiest is obviously my daughters, but the relationship that I'm in, my friends, the community that I'm, I'm helping nurture, it's just seeing all these things come together. Those are the most fulfilling things. And I think mm -hmm. in the scenario that you described, which is really common to me, it's so foreign because I don't participate in that much. Yeah. But in the, culture that, in the culture that I did grow up in, like having the nicest shoes, having the best car with best wheels and always showing up with the nicest outfit and biggest jewelry that is a really big driving force but it's it's for what for me it's clear but i'm growing up in that culture then you be you're gonna mirror it you're gonna mm. desire that because everyone in your community wants it too and as men we have to realize like it's that doesn't mean shit <laughs> i love it so I'm curious about one of the things that is definitely a fundamental pillar of masculinity is this idea of provision, right? Protection and provision, like being the one that generously supports and provides not only like a space, but for the entire 20th century, it's been about financial provision. It's been about like supporting your family, which I think is a very noble thing. So how do you create the distinction of healthy masculine provision that is grounded in truth versus acquiring shit because it looks good from the outside. Like, how do you make that distinction? I know that uh, a lot of this is passed down to us both uh, from the feminine and the masculine that men must provide. Yeah. This is what men do. And I think this is in all of our cultures. It's like, yes. I think even women are told like, you have to marry a man that's going to provide. You have yeah. to find a man that's going to take care of those things. Um, how would I, I separate them? I just, ne at a very young age, I personally removed brands, the desire to acquire brands and to show off brands 
as yeah. a motivating force because a lot of that revolves around brands. Yeah. Um, your Mercedes, your Louis Vuitton, your Nikes or whatever nicer shoes are out there. I don't like idolizing anyone or anything mm -hmm. to the point that I go into debt to acquire it. And, and ultimately it doesn't even serve me. It doesn't give my friends any, any more uh, comfort mm -hmm. uh, or a space to hang out or, mm -hmm. or a connection. Um, it, none of those things actually serve me. So I, I never placed a lot of value. If you come to my place, I have a few things. My most impo important, my most expensive things are gear, <laughs> camera. Yeah. Yes. But I have little of anything that's name brand. Sure. Um, because I've chosen to just value, like value my time, value human beings, uh, connection, relationships. Um, I give my daughters, I, we didn't have a lot as after the divorce, we were, I was really dirt poor for a while yeah. there and hardly ate the first few years, but we did things. We valued things, experiences, the part, uh, driving us, uh, Austin, those for me, I, I feel like my approach was like, Hey, I can give you a home. And I made sure that we had a place to stay, but I will also make sure to give you experiences. I'm not going to give you things. They never had the nicest shoes. And to this day, I, mm -hmm. they've never asked me for them either. Mm -hmm. So that's how I think I'm able to separate them. Is like, none of that matters. Like it's right there in your face. None of it means shit. You can't take this to your grave. You're yeah. not going to be 80 years old and say to yourself, man, I sure wish I got the Mercedes. No, you're going to be like, man, I sure wish I had more time with my daughters mm. or we had gone on that trip or had more experiences, mm. uh, called my best friend and told him I was sorry for those, whatever I may have said when I was young and stupid. Mm. None of that is, none of it is going to matter. I love that. I love when you called out, like, it's not like a space for my friends to hang out. Like that's more important than like some brand thing. So it leads me to believe that you do, you value provision. So like what, in a way, like what does provision mean to you then? I think provision for me means a place for people to meet, a place for people to connect with each other. And I think this is how it, I have this, I'm growing the, the Kizomba community in Dallas mm -hmm. and I'm investing a lot of money and a lot of time mm -hmm. with, and, and the event that I throw is for free. Mm. People have asked me, why don't you charge? I'm like, because I want to bring more people in. And as exhausting as it is, and stressful as it is, nothing makes me feel better than seeing a packed room, people having fun and meeting new friends. Mm. For me, provision is being able to give these people. My, I also meet them and, and introduce myself, of course, but knowing that I am helping change their lives. Some mm. people in this, in this group are going to become friends. Some of my best friends come from the, that group. Yeah. Um, they're going to meet their partners. They're going to meet their wives yeah. or their husbands. They're going to they're going to find a new culture and a new dance that's going to open up their lives and get them more confidence. For me, that's what provision what provision means. What it, I value highly. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of this business networking group, and I just went. I've been a member of it for over ten years, and it's given me so much. Some of my best friends are out of that group, and I went back and I decided that I was going to invest in that group and put money into it in terms of running some marketing campaigns and mm -hmm. some developing some content to grow that group. And mm. I realized that it's because I enjoy helping people come together. Mm. That's not my group. I'm just a, totally. a, a member and my friend runs it and I'm, he's a good friend, but I love that. I love knowing that 
lives are being changed, connections are being made and generate like this. There's a ripple effect. We're going to change lives. We are changing lives just by being us. I think one of the foundational pillars of masculinity is community. Mm. I think one of the most foundational elements of manhood is to provide space for people to come connect, come together to create. I've never heard this. Yeah. It's actually really, really powerful. Like this idea that the masculine provides the container and the space and the Mm -hmm. feminine is all the creation that's happening. So if you think about you providing the space of Kisomba, the actual dance is like the the feminine flow. Mm -hmm. So um, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, You're, you've been invited to, to have uh, to meet with us here, right? This is a new idea. And essentially, that's what's playing itself out as you described it to me. Since my girlfriend is helping cre- uh, create the energy and the flow, I am, yeah, I'm helping provide the container for it. And I, it's, I've never done this, by the way, but mm. not personally, not in my home. It's like, mm. like I've always protected my home in a sense. Like I, I yeah. want people here, but at the same time, having a lot of people makes me nervous. Yeah. Um, but the, this, this is something that you just nailed, actually. This is another thing that I'm doing in that space to connect people like i don't know you anya yes <laughs> all right and you were invited <laughs> and uh, with the hopes that you were going to meet some people here that can help you or just be friends with yeah because uh, i have some cool people and yeah. part of the idea behind it was to bring people that i don't know it gives me a chance yeah. to get to know them better yeah so i guess you make a great point i like to do that and i guess some I'm a traditional man in that sense yes you are look at you tv <laughs> traditional dad man partner, <laughs> all these things. But but I think it's really profound. One of my favorite things that I think is really important that we we need to do and we're not doing, especially in 2022, is take what's going on on, on an individual level and translate it to culture and uh, think about things in, in a way that, for example, if we're missing this like provision from dad, which is like a safe space, safe container for my emotions, my creativity, my spirituality, all the things. I didn't get that. have it now because I've facilitated that for myself, but think about the millions of people that don't have safe containers. So if there is no safe container, all we have is pent up creativity, not able to come out. And it becomes chaos that is just like bottlenecked, it's bottlenecked chaos, which is happening all throughout the world. We've been in chaos for years. <laughs> and we have this like collective yearning for order, container, you know, clarity, stability, but we don't trust men. So we're mm-hmm. not letting them, That's true. right? We're not letting them do that. And they, they all believe that we don't want them to on a collective level. So we're stuck. And yeah. I want to bring that forth. And essentially the purpose of this conversation too, is to have this like unique individual experience with you and to have people listen to this is happening across the board. So the importance of fatherhood and manhood and men finding themselves is like a hundredfold it could be this beautiful, beautiful ripple effect for the world to create productively, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so absolutely. That was a rant, but what are your no, thoughts I, about that? I agree. Um, there is, 
there is this sense, and I read this a while back and it, it broke my heart, but we're a lot of men are hiding behind a mask of machismo. Yeah. Um, because yeah. that's kind of the the one thing we're good at if we if we put that mask on and hide behind it. I've tried my best to be as honest as I can in my life and not hide behind that. Uh I'm vulnerable, I share, I men are allowed, and I think this is the growth as a man when you get there, realizing that we're human beings and we have the range of emotions that every other human being, females included, have. So shutting down a portion of that because it's seen as weak is foolish to me. And as a man, I feel like one of the best things you can do is if you're such a man, so strong, then why can't you cry? Who the hell is, you can't show any emotion or vulnerability. Who, if you're such a man, you should be allowed to have that and stand in that power like fuck you i'm gonna cry this is my daughter just graduated and i'm gonna i'm going to cry and i don't care who sees it um I love it. I love it. men when, now it's more common but 10 or 12 years ago i wrote an article about how i was wearing pink a pink shirt mm -hmm. um 15 years ago and it, i caught a lot of flack for it like pink man uh, i'm like dude if you're such a man who the hell, are, why are you letting other people tell you what you can or cannot wear? What color? What does that say about your sexuality? Um, so there's yeah. that, like being, growing up or, or coming up to a point where like, the, the hell with this. I'm going to be who I am and, and not be ashamed of it. One. Two, there is an unfortunate reality that men are feared in many ways. And we brought that on ourselves over time yeah. to some extent. Uh, we've done some shitty things and we're, yeah. we're, we're weird. We're creepy at times. We do some things like that. And, and it's unfortunate because our touch has even kind of been criminalized to some extent. Yeah. If we touch a child, that's you know, like, if we touch yeah. a woman in a certain, like, it, like, whoa, of course there is boundaries and there's consent and all that, but it, it it's, it's, it's sad. I get what you mean. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I verbalized that just right. But even you, you have to be really careful that with we that people see that this is consensual, or this is my daughter, <laughs> or um, because other people might perceive that as a, a creepy old man doing creepy old things. Um, yeah. And it's sad that we assume that. So it makes yeah. it hard for us to step into any any power any power without feeling like we have to make sure that all like we, we check off all these boxes and we're not violating anybody's um, belief system just to interject there Go for it. what you're speaking to is very clear and from like where my view and my frame of reference comes into play is like who said like who's the one that mm -hmm. made all this to be right and <laughs> Who, 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 who taught men this? Who, who did this? And so great the, question. Right. I wanted to know too. And I believe it is like just domination capitalism, right? Like it's actually really effective. If you think about the industrial revolution and you think about the two points you just made, no emotions, no touch, how much easier is it to force a person to do extreme amounts of physical labor over extended periods of time, if they're more robotic than <laughs> if they're less robotic, it's way yeah. easier to, to do that. So marketing, like you said at the beginning of this call, everything is marketing. So if you convince an entire couple of generations of men that your emotions make you weak and you need to be this robot, it's way easier. And the only value you serve is how much money you bring home from this factory you work at. Mm -hmm. Then 
if if that is propagated properly, then over a couple of generations, yeah, over generations, and yeah. that becomes a belief system, then it makes sense. I can see that. I know that we. I had a hard time disassociate disassociating myself when I first started this business. Disassociating what I do that, or believing that what I do digitally on a computer is actually work. Oof. Yep. That uh, it took me two or three years to really get over that. That this is work because it, I, I was raised to believe. Uh, nobody ever verbalized it, but I was raised given this belief in some way or another that if your your hands aren't bloody, if you're you're not dirty, if your back doesn't hurt, if you if your clothes aren't dirty, then you didn't really work. You're actually mm. pretty lazy. You should be hurting. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. It just relates. It reflects, and it doesn't even logically make sense anymore. It's 2022. No right. one's like getting <laughs> dirty anymore at a at a coal mine, except for a small fraction of men. Right. Yeah. Uh, poor, poor guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a great question, just for everyone to kind of think about, like, who came up with this shit? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what's unfortunate because as children. Your yeah. boys, you're you're forced to shove that down. Yeah. You're forced to like you can't cry. You, I got the shit slapped out of me often. Um, and I mean, you're I was a child, but yeah. you're, you're slapped around enough. You're gonna suppress it, yeah. choke on it, and eventually it'll erupt in other ways in your life. Um, because you're a human being with human emotions. Your sadness is a real thing for all of us. So yeah. Oh, TV. I'm really honored by all of your shares i think we've gone through so many important topics thank you thank for sharing you. about your girls thank you for just giving this like beautiful personal take on like what fatherhood means I, i'm really grateful you exist i do appreciate it on you that's uh that's a, i've received many compliments in my life that was actually one of the sweetest <laughs> mm. i'm grateful to exist i feel like my life matters and i i'm enjoying my life and seeing what I'm able to, how I'm able to contribute to the society. Mm, well, I'm excited for everyone that's listening to uh, be able to connect with they, with you if they choose. So I'd love for you to just tell people where they can find you, where they can access your work. Uh, yes, um, uh, you can find me at TV, T-E-E, B as in Victor, E-E dot M-X. That's where my blog is. And you'll find my podcast, my art, my writing. Um, from there, if you choose, you can find me, find every other channel that I'm on. Uh, but that's my home base. Love it. I'm so happy and grateful to be in community with you. Thank you for the spaces that you've created. And I'm looking forward to continuing this beautiful conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to actually get to know you even more when you come over. <laughs> We're still strangers. I know. <laughs> We're not really. <laughs> I love that. Well, hope you guys have all enjoyed it. Cheers. And until next time, this is the Venus and Mars podcast.